Well, good morning. We are in week two of a series called Going Home. You know, we are excited to be partnering with God in all that he is doing. We're amazed at what our God allows us to take part in with him. And uh, one of the things we want to talk about throughout this series is when God's doing something big, what can I do to participate with him? You know, in the Going Home series, we're talking about a physical home that we're going towards. And God is moving this family towards uh, out of rental and into owning our own permanent facility. And what all does that mean? And God, how can we participate with it? But it's so much bigger than that. It's about hearts as well. And it's, Lord, how can we participate with you on the big picture scheme of you moving in this world? You know, we've been uh, in the book of Ruth here starting last week, and we're going to be walking through Ruth, watching how God works with her in his big plans, and what we can learn as we watch them move and act within each chapter. And so last week we were looking at Ruth uh, and learning how to be faithful. Be faithful. Like, what does it mean to literally trust in the Almighty God with all we've got and give our whole to him? That's what we're looking at. So before we jump into Ruth chapter 2 today, let's make sure we uh, kind of put the context of Ruth 1 together. So Ruth 1 starts out right away, just bang, gives us some information. It says, it was in the time of the judges. You know, that's when everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes, right? And that creates nothing but chaos. So we have everybody doing what's right in their own eyes. We have God actually saying to them, you need to understand if you don't do what I ask you to do, I'm going to make sure that the land does not bring forth fruit. In other words, there'll be famines. Okay, and that's in Leviticus that that promise is made. So when we actually get to the second sentence or the second line of the of the first verse and it says, hey, everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes and there was a famine, we need to hear and understand that God's disciplining. God's moving. God's making sure that people need to come back to him and return to him and he's going to make clear that that has to happen now. Well, in the midst of that, there's a family with a man named Elimelech as the lead, and they basically say, forget it. Uh, We're not going to sit in this famine. We're going to take charge of our own lives. We're doing what's right in our own eyes. And so they went out, and they went 50 miles to the east, crossed the river, went to Moab, to a land that wasn't experiencing famine, and they lived there. Thought being that we could avoid the disciplining hand of God. Maybe didn't even recognize it as the disciplining hand of God. In the midst of taking those steps, uh, not good things happened. Elimelech, just a few years later, died, suddenly passed away. His two sons married women from Moab. They married foreign women. And and then those two sons, well, they died. And now Naomi is left with her two daughters-in-law. And they're hanging out in a foreign country, trying to figure out how to survive in a male-dominated world. And then Naomi catches rumor that there's no more famine back in Israel. So she tells the girls, pack up, we're going home, my home. And they packed up and they started out on their way. And you can only imagine what that trip must have been like as they're beginning to separate from fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and cousins and all of the family and friends and all of the life that they've ever known. And they're leaving and heading out to get back to Israel doesn't take but long and Naomi recognizes this sadness and probably even thinking a bit to herself realizes this is ludicrous. I can't provide for these girls. She turns to him and stops and they have a little time on the road. 
with some high tears. Weeping is what it says in Ruth 1. As they talked through and she basically says, you guys need to know I can't give you anything. I can't provide another son for you. I can't take care of you. You basically are going to end up taking care of me. You need to just go back. And through very persuasive argument, one of the women, Orpah, basically says, makes sense to me, gives her a kiss and goes back home. But Ruth, it says, Ruth clung to her. She took her arms and threw them around her and held her closely and physically demonstrated, I will not be separated from you. You matter to me. And I'm going to be faithful to both you and what I think is right. Ruth clung to her. And then she also had her statement, which many of us know, you know, uh, I'm going where you're going. I'm going to lodge where you lodge. Your people are going to be my people. Your God, my God. In fact, may God do worse to me if I walk away from you. I'm going to be buried in your land. I'm going with you. I'm with you, both in word and And in action, physically and verbally, she showed, I am going to be faithful. So Naomi said, okay, fine. And they moved on. They went to Bethlehem together, the two of them. Naomi was very bitter over her losses of husband and sons. And she's coming back in to the town and the buzz is all around. It says there was a stir in the town because of it. And she literally said, you need to call me Mara, bitter because I have nothing. Now, Ruth is standing next to her, but she says she has nothing. She's not in a very good frame of mind. She's not properly processing at this point. But she is back home to Bethlehem. The famine is done. It's Naomi and Ruth. That's the setup for Ruth chapter 2. That was the storyline that we learned about faithfulness in. Today, we're going to learn about fruitfulness. That's a word I came up with just looking at chapter two. Seems like a great word to describe what God demonstrates in Ruth chapter two about how he can move mightily when we share fruitfulness. So, you know, the ushers are coming forward with Bibles uh, in their hands. Just raise your hand if you need a Bible. We'll get one to you. We're going to be starting out in Ruth chapter two here. Okay. Again, we're answering the question, how can I honor God with my fruitfulness? First point, Knowing that God provides, work hard at opportunities he makes available. Knowing that God provides, work hard at opportunities he makes available. We're just going to start in Ruth chapter 2 verse 1. It says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, We have a a setup here. Naomi had a relative of her husband's. Now, again, remember, culturally, it was a big deal that there were men involved in the family. They were out working. They owned and possessed property. There was things they did to provide. And so really what we're supposed to say when we read that is we're supposed to do one big collective sigh, you know, where you go. So we all together are supposed to say that when I read it, get ready. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. There was somebody to possibly care for them. That's what we're supposed to read. Okay. Now it says, Boaz was this worthy man. You know, that phrase is the same phrase that was used about Gideon, one of the judges. And and that that phrase literally means mighty man of valor. 
It means got his act together, completely trustworthy, able in the midst of battle to win the war. Boaz, he was not a fighting man, but he was a businessman and he was a family man. And so the phrase they kind of turned in the English to be a worthy man, but it's the same phrase, mighty man of valor in all that he's called to do. Notice what it says about Boaz, the worthy man, and yet Ruth, well, the Moabite. We have this great man and this really not so worthy female in those societies, and yet in God's eyes, very worthy, and he's bringing them together. Her response was simply this. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. I'm not going out and working. You go work. You're the one who's been widowed longer than me. Is that what Ruth said? Take a look at it. That's not what she says at all. Instead, she looks at Naomi and she says, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Like, I don't even know where I'm going to find favor, but whoever shows me favor, there I'll glean. And just please let me go. She was asking for permission. She wasn't telling. She was requesting. Naomi's response to this humble, kind, servant-hearted thought was to say, go, my daughter. Sounds like a good plan. Off to the races. Make sure it happens. Verse 3, so she, Ruth, set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. She gleaned in the field after the reapers. Now, we have to get a picture of what this means. Gleaning literally means to walk behind the people that are picking the grain, and you pick up the stuff that's left over. Gleaning, it means you're in a used field, and you're taking advantage of some of the good that's left. That's what she's doing. It says she was gleaning after the reapers. Well, I don't get it. This isn't her property. Isn't that stealing? Why wouldn't that be considered theft? The answer is because according to Leviticus 19 and Deuteronomy 24, God made some laws for Israel on how they could work together. And this is what he said. I want you to take advantage of what I've given you and share with those around you. The poor, the sojourner, the one traveling through, the widows, and you make it available to them. And and as you make this stuff available to them, they can come in and glean and pick it up and use it for themselves. As I lavish upon you, so you lavish on those in need in this way. So she wasn't stealing. She was taking advantage of a cultural rule, a law that God had established for how Israel should share with those around them. Notice it says, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. She just happened to come there. This was a statement made by the author where he's kind of tongue in cheek and he's saying, there is a sovereign God at hand. Can you see him moving? She just happened to be in this spot. And then notice what it says right after it. And behold. Now we've talked about that word in the past, right? It literally means check this out. You would not believe what's coming. Watch this. Okay. And behold, watch this. Boaz came from Bethlehem. So Ruth is in Boaz's field at the same time that Boaz thinks, hey, why don't I get up from Bethlehem where I live and I'll go out and I'll check my fields and see how the harvesters and the servants are doing. And I just come out and I stroll up to my property and right there is Ruth on my property currently gleaning. Boaz responds to the reapers that are around him, his workers. He says, the Lord be with you. And they answered, and the Lord bless you. Well, why would they answer this way? Well, first of all, because 
They're godly people. That's great. That's a simple answer. But it's more than that. Remember, there was a famine going on. That means nothing produced by the land. And now, Boaz, one who owns this property, has the harvest plentiful right before him. He's looking out at these unbelievable sea of grains and he's seeing his reapers collecting and he's seeing it all coming back. The nation has been healed. People are restored to God. God is blessing the land again. So he says, the Lord be with you. And they say, and the Lord bless you. God is at the center of our lives and solution. Let's keep that in mind. That's what they're saying. We have an awesome God. Let's celebrate him. Verse five, then Boaz said to his young man, young man who was in charge of the reapers, uh, who is this young woman? Kind of, you can kind of see him nodding his head only, not pointing, sort of rolling the eyes that way to get the gist. Who's this young woman, right? And uh, he's caught her eye or she's caught his eye. And then it says, and the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And then he thinks to himself, maybe he won't grasp how much character this woman has. I should explain a little bit of the unbelievable nature of her. So he says, she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. His point, she was unbelievably polite. She didn't need to ask. It was law. She could go glean. Just go do it. But she came in and she asked for permission. She said, please, Literally in the Hebrew, she said, I pray thee, I ask between you and God, could you allow me? That's what she said. Please let me go and do the very thing that is legal and lawful. Would that be okay with you? Very humble and very polite and gracious. And then she enters the field and she has been working from early morning until now with but a short rest. She's a hard worker. You know, that phrase with just a short rest is a little confusing in the Hebrew and the word hut or or house is in it. It sort of implies that there was, she's either resting at the house right now for a short rest or she just took a short rest. Maybe that house is a hut that's right there with the field. It's not totally clear, but this is what is clear. She absolutely rested for a short time and she worked for a long time. Hard work. Ruth, humble, kind, dedicated. That's who she is. And God has provided for her in the midst. God is good. You know, we respect when people work hard, don't we? I mean, we really do appreciate seeing a hard worker. And uh, the reality is we often notice the one who doesn't work hard too. Uh, There was a story, uh, my daughter, she was five years old. She was uh, graduating from kindergarten. Uh, Yes, graduating i said they actually did caps and gowns and walked across the stage you can just picture these little five and six year olds getting their diplomas that said you're unbelievable you've graduated from kindergarten right whatever is going on with that diploma and one of the questions they asked them was so what do you want to be when you grow up and then the second question they asked was why now my daughter megan who like i said was five at the time you just got to understand megan she doesn't like to make choices. When she's asked what she wants to have at a restaurant, she usually ends up in a great fret and ends up turning to us and saying, I don't know, what should I get? And she doesn't like to choose. If you say, hey, what was the most favorite part of that vacation? I don't know, I liked it all. Or or, what did you like most about school today? Everything. Like she doesn't like to have to choose one thing over another, okay? 
Just saying that. She ended up having to choose what she was going to be. You can only imagine how long and hard that was for her to choose. She ended up making a great choice. You know, some kids chose policemen or firemen or doctors or nurses or whatever. She ended up choosing to be a mom. She said, I want to be a mom. And then her answer when they said, why? She said, because I want to do everything. Okay, let that settle for a minute. You can only imagine as hundreds of eyes now turn to me and they think, you loser. Don't you do anything around that house, right? So all the eyes are on me and my wife is being praised and lifted up. We respect hard work. My daughter respects that my wife does hard work. Remember, she did say everything because she doesn't like to choose things. We'll keep that in mind, right? But in general, hard work was deeply respected. And my lack of hard work or implied lack of hard work was not. Question, where has God placed you? Job, work, family. And how are you doing at working hard there? Are you working hard? Or are you maybe kind of slacking off? Hardly working would be the phrase used, right? Are you doing what God's called you to do at the highest levels possible, putting your effort forth with all you've got so that God could actually bring fruitfulness to bear in your life? Hard work. It's what God's called us to, to be able to share in his plan. That's the first step. Second, seek to participate in what God is doing. You just might be the blessing he brings to another. Seek to participate in what God is doing. You just might be the blessing he brings to another. You know, we're going to jump into verse 8 here. It says, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men to not touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Boaz, he basically turns to her and he says, God has blessed me. He's entrusted me with things. I have great amounts of stuff and I want to share them with you. You glean with what I own. There is more than enough for you here. Follow along behind the young women. Go ahead and glean. Take from my stuff. I would love for you to take it there. But more than just following the law, you can take from whatever God's already asked me to do. I'm going to give more than that. I'm going to offer you protection and I'm going to offer you water. I'm giving you the needs that you have and covering them. I'm taking care of it because God's entrusted me with some stuff and I want to entrust those to you now. May you be cared for. You know, often we have that opportunity to see God work in our lives and we literally can share from the fruitfulness he's poured out on us. That's what Boaz was doing. But notice there's a second thing going on. Ruth's hard work and Boaz sharing. God working the two of those together so that fruitfulness could be used to bring forth his plan. Now notice the response. It says, Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and replied. She fell on her face, bowing to the ground. When's the last time you fell on your face before someone and bowed to the ground thanking them? Not really big in our culture, right? And we don't tend to do it that often. Might have a profuse thank you, but this is really going big. In her culture, she was basically giving the biggest thank you she could find. And then she responds, Why have I found favor in your eyes 
that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner. I don't understand. I mean, yes, I set out that morning saying, I'm going to glean in whoever's sight I shall find favor. I'm going to glean in their fields. And God, I hope he provides. But you have provided. You provided way more than I could have ever imagined. Why? I mean, I came out today looking just for grain for two people for today. And you provided me the opportunity to do this for weeks to come. The typical barley harvest lasted seven weeks. She just now had two months of guaranteed labor and profitability. She was being blessed and she was recognizing it. Why have I found favor in your eyes? Verse 11, Boaz responds. He answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing you have come to take refuge. Are you hearing the list? He says, why? Because I'm impressed. You have been so caring for Naomi, your mother-in-law. In the midst of losing your husband, you could have gone off on your own, but you cared for her. More than that, you left your father and mother. You left the place you were comfortable. You left what you knew. You stayed with her. More than that, you came to a place you are uncomfortable with. The laws and the rules and the language and the culture and the all of it new to you. And then most of all, you put yourself under the very hand of the God of the universe, the God of Israel. And you said that you would be protected by him and provided for by him. You let him, literally, as it says, have the wings of God wrap around and protect and pull close. Imagine those little chicks coming up close to the mother's wing and laying underneath it. Imagine those wings. And now imagine it's darker out and the wind is coming down and the rain is coming down. The weather is getting nasty. It's picking up heavy. And those little chicks are underneath the bird and the wings are protecting and providing. He said, you want to know why I'm giving to you? Because I'm watching God have a plan to provide for you as you work hard and your dedication to this God and you're putting himself under his provision. Oh, I want to be a part of that. It's an awesome privilege to take part in what God's doing. Her response at the end, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. You can only imagine that tears probably welled up in her eyes as she literally said, wow. I mean, when I left, I didn't get any recognition. When I arrived here, I was described as nothing, as Naomi basically said, I have nothing. But now, you're literally saying, you respect me, and you're giving me these things, and you're helping me out? I'm amazed. I'm amazed. Thank you. You know, we each have opportunities each day to speak wisely to others where we can comfort them, where we can encourage them. We might be able to share of our physical stuff like Boaz, where we can literally help them out of a tough spot, where we can bring them through. And and truthfully, we need to be careful that we don't enable the ones that aren't working hard. But when you find somebody working and you help them work hard themselves, now you're getting it. 
That's what God does as he works mightily in this world. My question to you is this. Who might God be calling you to work with and be kind to? You know, my wife, Jana, back before we had kids, she was a teacher and a music teacher. And she taught general music and choir and and uh, she did uh, plays and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things she loved to do was have the kids over to the house. Uh, we had an eighth grade girls graduation party over at the house. And, and uh, you know, we ended up doing volleyball across the street and games outside. And then they came in and had some food and they went downstairs and talked. And I'm sure I you know, got Kool-Aid for him or something. I'm sure I was a help, right? Uh, but uh, as we talked afterwards, Jana said, you know, I had a chance to be able to share of what Jesus Christ meant to me. I really wanted to make sure they knew what was going on in my life. So she explained a bit of her background and, and some of what happened with uh, her family life and just how hard some things were for her in growing up and um, how much it meant to her to know that there was a God who loved her with all he had. And she explained who Jesus Christ was and she explained how to know him personally and how to give him your whole heart. And and then she talked a little bit more about marriage and what it meant to be married and, and what it meant to be pure until marriage and hanging on and, and not spending the wrong types of time dating and, and what that meant and how you could honor God with that and tied it all together and, and left it at that. And, uh, you know, over a decade later, we got an email from one of those little girls who was there, and it said, Dear Jana, I just want to let you know how much you've meant to me. You may not realize this, but the night that you shared Christ with us when I was in eighth grade, uh, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I took on the challenge you gave us to make sure that my marriage was lifted up, even though I didn't know who I was going to be marrying. And and uh, the neat thing is, is as she went on and lived life and dated and ended up getting married, she married a pastor and they're now in ministry and God used mightily Jonah's words and challenge. Here's my question to you and me. Who might God be putting you into the life of this week or today even where you could share comfort or a, a testimony of how great God is? where you can lean on him to share how great he is. I, I mean, we can actually literally share words. We can share physical stuff. The challenge for you and me is that we can lift him up through the fruitfulness that he's given us, through the testimony he's given us, through the stuff that he's given us. May we literally participate with God where he's at work, yet just might be the blessing God's bringing to another my challenge is simply this. Reach out. Share. Grab onto what God's got going on and be a part of it. Okay? So the first step in fruitfulness is work hard. The second step, share. Participate. Be a part of it. Let God use your stuff as you reach out and encourage and share. And then the third one, third point, is make sure there is longevity in your commitment. That's where the fruitfulness comes from. You know, as we go into this last piece, verse 14, it starts out, And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied. 
And she had some left over. Notice Boaz is now not just sharing of the water and the, and the grain, but now he's sharing food and he's sharing meal times. He's saying, come be a part of my team and my family and my servant crew. And, and he's invited her in. Notice that when he shared, it says she was satisfied. Have you ever gone out to eat and you get done and you just feel satisfied? I'm not talking about when you feel bloated to the point where, you, you know, not that kind. Satisfied, like it was a great amount of food. It hit a hunger spot. I mean, can you imagine? She's been wrestling with finding food from wherever. She doesn't know where. She's probably had a hunger thing going. Her stomach's growling and she's working throughout the day. And she's at least had a drink of water here or there. And then he invites her over and shares roasted grain and, and allows her to just eat a meal with them. He's been gracious. It was satisfying. More than that, though, it was amounts that had leftovers. This is like, remember, have you ever gone to a restaurant where you, you order so much and they, that you can't eat it all and you end up having to get tins to take it home in, right? You can just imagine her coming home with her couple of tins or her styrofoam thing and, and she's got food stuffed in it because there was more than she could even begin to think about eating. This is, you know, like uh, basically this weekend, my wife and I, we went to Basta's and we ended up ordering the Bastacholi, right? And it's this, you know, this Mustacholi that comes in a, horse trough size thing right and we end up dishing this out onto plates and there's four of us eating it and we get done with the four of us eating it and we haven't even made a dent i would swear the thing is like self-replenishing it's massive and then we're coming home with leftover. we have bastas we're gonna have it for the next week in some way shape or form i'm sure bastacholis the massive amounts of satisfaction and leftovers that she must have felt that's what we're talking about she was able to really experience the lavishing of God. Notice it says, when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. It was basically one of these. You could hear him going, come over here, get over here. And he Gets them all together and he goes, now I want you to understand something. I know the law says that the outside ring for them and, and whatever we drop, we're going way beyond it. You let her come right up and work among you and do not get angry with her. You let her take it. Got it? We're giving to her. Does everybody understand? Yeah, but that's what we're doing. Does everybody understand? Okay. And then it's more than just dropping it. We're going to purposeful dropping now. Everybody start pulling this stuff out and throwing it on the ground. I want her to be able to pick up the easy stuff. It's not going to be hard work. It's going to be medium work now. Honor the woman. Do you get it? And then his workers are like, yeah, we get it, sir. Okay, Boaz, providing for her in various ways. Notice what he didn't do. He didn't just pull out a bunch of grain and send it to the house and have her sit at home and not work. He worked with her. He helped her to work and provided for her as he helped her work. That's a big deal. Verse 17, so she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. She beat it out. This is what that literally means. It means you take the grain and you slam it on the ground. And as you do, it loosens the grain and knocks it off of the stems. And then as you do that, you throw it up in the air and the wind blows it and the grain drops and the chaff blows away. It's actually called winnowing. We're going to talk about it in chapter three a lot more. She was doing it on a very small scale, the stuff that she had collected that day. She did that and she collected about an ephah of barley. That's like basically half a bushel, maybe a little more, probably weighed between 20 and 30 pounds of grain, okay? 
that was about two to three weeks of collected grain, somewhere in there, call it a couple of weeks of grain, and she was planning on coming home with a day. God is good. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. She pulled out the bastacholi and she pulled out all the grain that she had pulled up. This is an amazing take for one day. Verse 19, and her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? Okay, this is not to be read like she's, you know, dusting and mopping and doing whatever. And she just happens to ask casually, oh, where'd you glean today? It's not like that. It's where did you glean today to get all of this? Are you kidding me? Look at this. In the midst of it, the answer was, blessed be the man who took notice of you. Notice a little bit of the change in Naomi. Before, very unhappy with everything. Now, a little bit of happiness. Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Hey, God was providing and may God continue to bless that guy. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed, now listen, by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Remember, she was saying, God has forsaken me. Now she's saying, God forsakes no one. He's the provider. It was us that needed to grow and change. God, the Lord, Yahweh, the I am, his kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, by the way, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Now for you and me, this phrase doesn't mean a whole lot, but we need to understand it in light of Jewish law. Basically, when a son married, if he died and there was no son underneath him to follow and carry his name out, there was a requirement by Jewish law that said somebody in the family at large needed to help that woman come alongside of her and basically become family with her. And she was going to have a son through him, kids through him. And the firstborn son would take the bloodline of that original son who had passed away. Okay. It was a way to carry on family line, family lineage, family tradition. It was a kinsman redeemer plan. Okay. That's what's being talked about here. Basically, you need to know he's one of our close relatives. He can step into this kinsman redeemer law. He is one of our redeemers. And Ruth, who's from Moab, notice it says in Ruth the Moabite here, right? Ruth, who's from Moab, who really couldn't care less about these goofy, bizarre family laws necessarily, says, well, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men and till they have finished all my harvest. Notice what he's saying. She's saying, hey, the good news is at least we get some grain, right? That's why I went out today. I got the grain. I don't know about all this goofy family marriage stuff, and I don't know about the Redeemer thing, and I'm not sure I'm there with you, but at least there's a little bit of grain coming. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, not men, lest in another field you be assaulted. Glad it worked out today. Don't be around the guys. Be around the women, please. Verse 23. So Ruth kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Ruth listened and obeyed. 
humbly, graciously, hardworking, dedicated. She did what she needed to do to follow through. Longevity? Oh, yeah. Months of work in the fields, gleaning and bringing things home. Getting to know Boaz, getting to know the women, working in that area. Ruth did what she needed to do. Our job when it comes to fruitfulness is to make sure that we understand that God is in control, that he's working. We need to let him lead and guide. My question to you is this. Are you working hard where God has put you? Are you working hard for a long period of time, longevity? And then last, are you looking for a way to share of the fruitfulness he's entrusted to you? When God's got big plans, we need to work hard, share big. It's our way to participate in what God's doing. Let's pray.